Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. To conclude our series this morning, we have Kathleen Doyle with us to speak with us. In addition to being a good friend of Pastor Michael, Kathleen is part of the pastoral staff at Vintage. She also has a therapy private practice in the Los Angeles area. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining us this morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Kathleen, and I cannot wait for the day that we can all be together in person. Um, We are in an Old Testament series this summer, and today we're going to be looking at the first book of Samuel, chapter 1 and chapter 2 a bit. Um, And we're going to be looking specifically at Hannah's prayer, and this is a great story. I love it. Um, especially it's relatable if you've ever experienced some sort of loss, the loss of a dream, the loss of something hopeful, and you feel like the people around you just don't seem to get it. And they actually without, maybe some of them intend to, but most of them without intending to are actually piling on and making it even more difficult. And this is such a great hopeful story of how God meets us in pain um, and how he can meet us even in, in some of the rough things that we do and he can overcome those to make something really great happen. What I want to do before I get into the chapter, um, so if you grab First Samuel chapter 1, put your finger there, um, is just give a tiny bit of context. The book of First Samuel overlaps with the book of Judges, and so the, the stories happening in the book of Judges are uh, kind of happening, occurring at the same time as First Samuel. So it gives you a picture of what life was like back then. And Israel at that point, ideally, was going to be worshiping God and ruled by judges. Um, who were going to kind of maintain order and help maintain things, life going well. And the hope was that each household and each person would just worship the Lord. And as they faithfully followed him, this would be a a community that would flourish and really um, model his character and model who he is. But as human beings always do, me included, is they just didn't get it right. And so things began to disintegrate and they weren't going well. And as things disintegrated, um, the community of Israel began to say, you know what, this isn't working. We want a king. Please just give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so this story of 1 Samuel is the beginning of the transition from judges ruling to a king ruling. And there were going to be problems with this transition, and there were going to be problems with a king being in charge, but that was the direction they were going to head in. And what's really sweet in this story is you see a real mercy over this, because in many ways, Israel has rejected God as their leader but he begins to to intervene. It's almost like they know not what they do. And so God does some really neat things in the midst of people's brokenness and sin to keep them afloat and keep them headed in the right direction, even though they have rejected him. So if we turn to 1 Samuel 1, starting in verse 3, the just a couple of the characters to know because the names are unfamiliar. One is Elkanah, that is a male, and he's he's a husband to Hannah. And then you'll see Peninnah. And so Elkanah was married to both Hannah and Peninnah. And like I said, they were Israel was starting to adopt all the local customs. And um, what you see in every case where a husband has two wives is it goes so well. It does not go well. Um, so you will, though, I want to explain those characters so you know those. So beginning in verse 3, it says, Each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. 
On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. And each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she had made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her and seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded, throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied, I have not been drinking wine or anything strong, but I am very discouraged. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of the great anguish, out of my great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the Lord of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. For she had said, I asked the Lord for him. So we have this really interesting story of someone who's experiencing so much loss and the significance for Hannah of not having children was very profound. Um, In that particular time, in that culture, one of the strong mandates that would have been repeated over and over again is be fruitful and multiply. Israelites would have taken that very seriously because what it meant wasn't just that you had a bigger family or big kids. It meant you had a bigger army. It meant you had a bigger labor force. It meant that as you are being invaded and threatened by those around you, you are beginning to expand your numbers and that gives you a better advantage and that gives you an opportunity to not be mowed over by the neighbors because it was a very war-torn, battled area. And so if someone was going to be successful as a female, part of her contribution to the community was to have a lot of kids. And so to be barren at that point, um, not only was it personally emotionally painful, but it was very shameful in the community. So this woman of every stratus layer of the, the, um, the community, she would have been really, really low. And she would have been very insignificant. She would have been a disappointment. And people would have definitely looked at her as someone who was probably rejected by the Lord or cursed or something really, really negative. And so she's got this broader problem, not to mention that her family has adopted this idea of polygamy. And so now she's in this situation that is adding even more fuel to this fire, to this painful place that she's in. So her rival, 
Panina isn't someone who's really probably looking too close at scripture and applying love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think she's paying attention to that passage. She's really needling Hannah. And, and it isn't funny. Like Hannah's in deep pain and this is very um, stressful to her and she's anguished over it. And Panina is just fueled by that. And so these are things that we see sometimes in our culture is that people have expectations of us. And if we don't meet those expectations, we're kind of bottom rung on the ladder and, and you feel the misery of that, or they see that you're in pain. And rather than having mercy and compassion, um, they, they sort of exploit it to make themselves feel superior and feel better. I love that this story that's thousands of years old, it's, it's human nature. It's the stuff that we still deal with today. And so in this story, you're seeing someone who's really, really struggling and you're watching the world around her add to it. They are not helping her out at all. And it's pretty merciless. Then we see Elkanah, her husband. He's in a tough spot. He can't fix the problem that she has. And so he's trying the, the common tactic of let me distract you. Let's, let's ignore the fact that you can't have children. Let's focus on what you do have. And Hannah, you have me. And so... <laughs> I love that. And it is narratively significant that she does not respond to that. And so it, you kind of get the sense of a little bit of an older married couple. I'm sure it was a little bit more like that. But anyway, she does not respond to his encouragement. And he's trying to be sweet and he's trying to be nice, but but it's not fixing it. And so what we see is Hannah is struggling and she's kind of gets to the point where you get the sense in verse 9 that she gets sick of it. Because in verse 9, it's kind of blown over in the way that it's it's mentioned in the New Living Translation. But it said, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Now, it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but that word, Hannah got up, it means she stood. She took a stand. It's an idiom. It would almost mean like she put her foot down. She's had it. And it was at that point that she's looking around and she's tired of feeling lousy. She's tired of the people around her and she's going to go and she's going to seek the Lord. But the funny part is here she shows up and she wants to seek the Lord. She's gone to the temple. She's gone to the place to pray. She sits down. She's pouring her heart out. She's telling the Lord, Lord, I will give this child to you. I'm handing over everything, all this pain, all of these desires. I'm my only hope is to lay all of this at your feet so much so that I'm going to dedicate this child to you. And so when she makes the statement that she's not going to cut his hair, that would be one of the many requirements of somebody who's going to go basically into the priesthood or the ministry. And so that would be someone who wouldn't cut their hair. They wouldn't drink wine. Um, they would live a very simple life as well. And she's offering this child to the Lord. And then you've got the priest come over, Eli, and he's asking her, hey, are you drunk? So here she is, even in this moment where she's trying to ask the Lord for help and she's got another human being showing up and they're adding more trouble to her, her particular story. And what's so interesting, if just to take a second, is Eli had so many problems of his own. His kids were a mess. They were sort of violating the tabernacle and the temple um, with their own behavior, violating God's law. Eli wasn't taking it seriously. He wasn't getting his kids under control. And so you almost see him projecting his story onto her, maybe assuming that no one would show up pure-hearted or that, it, that people were showing up drunk because that was kind of what his kids were doing. And so here she is. She's taken another blow by another human being. But at the end of her prayer and at the end of even Eli sort of blessing her, 
it must have been something that transpired intimately between her and the Lord because her load was lifted. And at some level, she knew that the Lord had heard her and that the Lord was going to answer her prayer. And so she goes home, and as the story goes, she has Samuel. And she has dedicated him to the Lord, and she has stuck to that plan. And what you find later, and I won't read it um, now, is as she dedicates this child to the Lord, she raises him for the first few years until he's weaned, which would be about three years old. Anywhere three to five, but probably about three years old in that culture. And then she goes and she takes him to the temple. And now he's going to be raised by Eli. And in so many ways, that's stuff that culturally it's difficult for us to understand. But she's been so bonded to this child that it's it's hard to imagine what that moment was like for her to hand him over. But as he's taken into the priesthood at a really young age and he's raised there, what you find out over time is Samuel becomes an exceptional character in the story of Israel. And there's something in him that is tuned into the Lord in a way that the the um, kind of the designated people, Eli and his sons, Phineas and Hophni, whatever, I forgot his name, um, are not tuned into the Lord. And Samuel's got an ability to hear the Lord and to respond to him. And from that place, he is given a really significant role in Israel's story. And what's so neat about the role that Samuel plays is it's a role what, going back to what I said earlier, well, Israel has sort of rejected the Lord as their leader and said, we want a king instead. Samuel becomes the main character to keep Israel connected to the Lord despite their rejection of him. He is the main one to speak prophetically. He keeps the, the law and the word of God before the people. He intercedes on the people's behalf. He is part of setting up which guy gets the role for king. And, and he's listening to the Lord and anointing those particular people for that role. And then when some things go bad, especially with King Saul, you should read it. It's a really good story. Um, you see... Samuel interact with the Lord to make the transition to David, who becomes the line of Jesus. And all of this to say, going back to Hannah, this woman who's broken, this woman who has no status in society at all, this woman who is surrounded by people who are making her particular story worse. And the one thing that she can do and the one thing that nobody can interfere with, nobody can mess with, is the fact that she can go straight to God. And we have a God who bends low and he listens to our prayers. And it's a reminder in this story that that moment of faithfulness, that moment of willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to be on board with. Whatever you are asking of me, I will give it to you. Whatever I put place in your hands, I know is in good care. It's going to do amazing things. And as she took her desires and she took her pain and she handed them all back to the Lord, he took this child, and, and you read later she has more children, but he took this particular child and this particular child was a pivotal person in the story of Israel and in the story of them not completely walking away from the Lord. And you see this same story mirrored again in Mary and Jesus, where Jesus becomes the person to change everything for the rest of us. That sacrifice, Mary said, your will be done, Lord. Do what you need to do, and I will trust you no matter what the pain and no matter what the cost. I'm not here asking you what's in it for me. 
I'm asking you, what are you about and how do I participate in what you have and what you want to do? And you see the Lord do such amazing things. This is a God who takes barrenness and turns it into fruitfulness. This is a God who takes us out of the wilderness and moves us into a kind of a land that flourishes. But there are times when in order for that to happen, we will experience some pain and we will experience some sacrifice and some loss. But the good news is the God that asks us to sacrifice is the God who has sacrificed. He never asks us to do things that he hasn't done. He never leaves us to carry a load without his help. He never takes something from us and doesn't do something even bigger and better with it. And so as we look at this book and as we consider um, who Hannah was in this story and as we consider what the Lord has called us to, what one of the things that we want to notice, she didn't just have loss. She didn't just have bitterness and heartache as you hear in the story. She took all of that to the Lord's presence, every bit of it. She went from concept and theory of I'm bothered, it's irritating to me that I don't have kids, it's painful it's, that I don't have the story that I wanted, it's it's um, hurtful that the society looks at me this the way I did. There's that moment where she puts her foot down, she takes a stand, and she says, I am bringing this intimately, personally, and deeply into the Lord's presence. And there are times when you're experiencing a loss, you're experiencing something that's frustrating or painful or disappointing, that we stay here in our head. And the invitation in this particular passage is to get into your heart and bring the whole person that you are, the real feelings that you have. Not the idea of, oh, I feel really mad, the anger. I'm really sad. You bring the sadness and you let the Lord minister to you there. That is such an important, intimate part of knowing God and relating to him, not as a concept and not as a theory, but as a person and a person who digs through everything to see you, doesn't care what anyone else thinks of you, doesn't care what the society believes about you, doesn't care how stuck you feel. He will meet you where you're at. It's also a time to release and remember who is it that I'm serving? I'm serving the creator of the universe. Everything I see around me is something he has made. This is a God who is powerful. This is a God who desires that none should perish, but that everyone should come to everlasting life. Meaning this is a God who is merciful. He sees the brokenness here. He sees the problems here. And he still wants to have a relationship with us. And he still wants to bring life where there is death. He still wants to bring hope where things feel hopeless. He still wants to invite us to engage in bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this story, what we are invited into is this opportunity to recognize that the God who created everything sees us and the God who knows the story behind us and the story in front of us knows how to take what we give to him and bring it into the richness and the fullness of bringing life where things are not flourishing. He is a God of mercy and he calls us to remember that about him. And in this story where Hannah brings her neediness, she brings her loss and her pain, he's reminding us, I hear you. I know who you are. Put me back in perspective. It doesn't matter what anyone around you thinks of you. It doesn't matter what anyone around you is doing. I'm the God of the universe. In his nature, he is all good. He is all truthful and he is all loving. 
And so whatever this world deals us, whatever blow we might receive, whatever lack of justice we receive, we don't have to stay in a position of feeling victimized and overcome and forgotten. We are invited to bring whatever it is we carry into prayer. And it's not in here, but just as we we live together in community, as we live in the New Testament times, we're called to continually bring the loss, bring the pain of those around us into prayer. We're, We're invited into a dynamic opportunity to intercede and watch God's kingdom come, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. In the story of Samuel, in the story of Jesus, we never know what prayer will be answered to do a greater deliverance, to do a greater story, and to do something more profound, more interesting, more dynamic than we ever could have imagined. So as we head into our time of worship, as we kind of live out this week, I know a lot of you are dealing with a lot of disappointments right now. School's not looking the same. We're not out of lockdown. A lot of things aren't looking great. We're heading into a whole political season. Who knows what that's going to look like that could tear us to shreds. This is a time to intercede. It's a time to bring the things we carry to the Lord. It's a time to to release those, to sacrifice whatever we'd be wanting to hold on to and say, Lord, in your hands, I know you do amazing things. So as we head into our fall season coming up here shortly, let's renew our sense of God's presence and renew our commitment to giving our lives back to him. So let me pray with us, Lord. I just thank you that you hear our prayers. You hear them when they're at their lowest, when we are at a painful place of loss. I pray for those of us in our community who are, who are feeling it right now. They've been dealt a blow. Nothing in this world is bringing relief. I pray that you would be their relief. I pray that you would meet them intimately in the moments that they need to hear the voice, that you would answer the prayers that need to be answered and where you say wait or where you say no. I pray that we would see your character and your nature and your goodness shine through. Lord, I thank you that you are real and you deal really and intimately with us. And I pray that you would open our eyes and ears, open our hearts to know that and see that more clearly and be strengthened by that knowledge. We pray this in Christ's name. 